Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben, and Cody, uh, basketball is amazing right now. It, it is it is absolutely off the charts. There, it's like two or three games every night are turning me into the Vince McMahon meme, right? Like I, I, I was watching some Emmanuel quickly the other night and like he made a defensive rotation and I was like, yeah, I was like, oh yeah, that's nice. And then he came down on the other end and they like sprayed a pass to Quentin Grimes who attacked a closeout and then swung it to quickly in the corner who relocated from the top of the key to the corner to drain a movement three as he fell out of bounds. <sighs> this is a thinking basketball podcast. I don't know if anyone actually has a bingo card for here. You used to say it about Jokic and Curry. At this point, Ben, we need to have one for quickly and Grimes with you because I think this is probably four or five podcasts in a row where those two guys have been brought up, which which is fine, but you're starting off hot today. Like the first sentence out of your mouth is about quickly. Yeah, I was just saying, like, I think we did a lot of Jared Vanderbilt lately, so I have to move. We have to move the audience around our um, favorite role player bit that we have going. But, but quickly, Grimes, Jared Vanderbilt, um, they plug into something that's been going on. It's been kind of bouncing around in my head that I wanted to get off my chest, that I wanted to discuss with you and, and um, have all the listeners who contribute to this show when we do these ideas where we kind of think out loud, move this conversation forward, because I don't know how I feel about it. Of course, there's a lot of listeners that are going to yell at us after this conversation, but that's that's fine. I'm watching the Warriors and the Bucks last night. Did you see any of this game? Yeah, it was a great game, Ben. Great I, game. I'm, I'm glad I saved my text because there was about two minutes left, and I was just about to text you, ha, looks like the Warriors don't have that next gear. And then they had the next gear, and the Bucks ended up losing. So I'm, I'm glad I saved myself that embarrassment. Yeah, if you're listening to this in a time machine from the future, Steph Curry scored like... 10 points in a row, 11 points in a row at the end of regulation, and then nine more in overtime, something something like that. He he had one of those moments in basketball where you just take over the game and make amazing plays. And the play that really jumped out to me that he made, can you guess what it is? What Out of all the plays that he made at the end of the game and in overtime, what do you think is the one that jumped out to me that I wanted to talk about today? You mean the game-saving backline rotation where he blocks Drew Holiday's drive to send it to overtime. How did you know that that's what I was going to say? How did you know Just that? Just an unbelievable performance. We all knew going to the game. We're like, you know what? This is going to come down to Steph Curry having to make a defensive play on Drew Holiday. And lo and behold, there was Curry doing it. A vertical defensive play in which he, he like the way he made the play, it was, an, it was an absolutely incredible play. You know, there are times where small guards get blocks and they, they time it up and they come in from behind. Like, I have a play somewhere of Steve Nash blocking, like, Tim Duncan. It's, it's, it's not nearly as impressive as it sounds because it's always like, yes, it's very impressive, but they're darting their hand at the ball and getting it perfectly or coming out of nowhere. This was like a Draymond Green play where he was on the corner rotated off the strong side because it's desperation time and there's like one or two seconds left or whatever. So you make that gamble somehow slid quick enough to get inside Drew Holiday. And then he went like vertical. I didn't know Steph Curry could jump that high. I wonder if it's from all the time off with the shoulder. He's been doing calf raises or, or something. He is a, he is a gym warrior. He's a workout warrior, but actually the, so the play, spawned this thought to me that had been bouncing around in my head during the game that had 
nothing to do with Steph Curry's defense and everything to do with Steph Curry's offense. And that is this idea of mobility and agility and speed and horizontal coverage and north to south coverage in in transition. We'll talk about that. Being so critical to survive defensively. And then the teams that are thriving defensively, it seems, aren't exposed in this speed mobility kind of dimension that I'm talking about. They can they can cover the three-point line. They can get back in transition. And they're thriving with their size and their paint protection. And Cody, we're going to hit your bingo card right out of the gate today. Rim protection, right? And so that was the team on the other side of the court, the Milwaukee Bucks, who played this defensive game against the Warriors. I think you texted me that it was 4-4 with six minutes left in the first quarter and you were having a 2004 party at your house. You got some baggy jeans out and some square (laughs) shoes and you're very excited about everything going on. Um, But they didn't even have Giannis in this game. Brooke Lopez, I want to talk about him today. He's huge. He is a great drop center. He protects the rim incredibly well. I wouldn't call him the greatest shot blocker in the history of Earth, but just elite in all of these areas. And after this back surgery or whatever happened to him last year, I think he's moving better than he's ever moved in his life. His hips, I don't know if he's been in yoga, if he's if they have some progressive uh, uh, medical staff in Milwaukee. Maybe, Cody, you can give us some inside information. His hips look amazing. This ability to be this big and backpedal and turn and swivel and change directions. Even last night, he had a couple plays where... He's guarding in one direction, picking up one man. The, the ball goes to his man. He goes to contest. Doesn't really bite too hard. The pass is to the other side of the basket, turns around, blocks the shot or alters it. Um, that's, that's like Tim Duncan stuff. That's just, it's fantastic. So this is the big thought in my head. Like, can you defend in this league going into the playoffs? What is it going to look like if you don't have speed and mobility? And... Are there teams like Milwaukee out there, we can start with them, who are going to be elite and win in the playoffs because of their defense, because they have this size, because they have this length, because they have this paint presence and vertical presence, shot blocking, but they don't they don't get gutted with speed. That's the big thought. That's a huge thought, Ben, that we'll get to in a second, because I want to sit on Brooke Lopez for a second. I lo- he's, he's really big. He weighs a lot, so he can take it. The Tim Duncan comparison, I was actually thinking that while you were bringing it up, like right before you said it, I'm like, the way that he defends the rim reminds me of Tim Duncan because they more or less, they sort of have the same build, except Brook Lopez is a couple inches taller and like maybe 20 pounds heavier, maybe even more like Brook Lopez. Like I was even commenting on it last night to my wife. I'm like, you see that guy? He's massive. He makes everyone on the court, like Kevon Looney is standing next to him. I think Kevon Looney is like 6'10", probably like 250, looks like a child next to him. And, you know, I don't watch every single quarter of every game. Like, believe it or not, Ben, but I just don't have, I, I haven't done that. But I would be surprised if there were many quarters of defensive play better than Brooke Lopez's first quarter last night against the Warriors. Because the way, like you said, that he was protecting the rim, right? The way that he was positioning himself, the way that he was blocking shots, it was it was unbelievable to me. And it's not the only reason that the Warriors only scored four points in the first five, five and a half minutes or so, but it was definitely a really big part of it because he was saving easy baskets. He was saving layups and just... And the mobility thing, I think the thing that's really changed over the years with Brooke that's really impressed me so I think earlier in his Bucks tenure, 
when when the Bucks were always running this really deep drop, it was like a big part of their defense. He would be back in like the charge circle, like literally he'd be in the charge circle when the pick and roll would come and he'd be dropping back that far. He's been like adjusting the height of that exactly. drop a lot better. And he's yep. able to do like, I think what you've dubbed a high drop before where he drops, but he's still containing the ball handler and he's long enough and big enough that he can contest a jump shot if someone decides to pull up there. So I think that's a big element of how Brook Lopez's defense has changed as a buck. It might have been at the end of the game in that run or in the first quarter. I can't remember. I, I don't think I watched all four quarters. Um, so maybe it was in the first half now that I think about it. There was a play where Curry hits a pull-up three coming around a screen and pick and roll. And Brooke Lopez was in his drop, essentially. But what stood out to me is that he almost tapped Curry's wrist on the follow-through. That's how high he was up. You know, he wasn't at the level of the screen, that term we used to describe the defender basically being at the same height and position on the court as the screener. But he's far enough out now and he's he's comfortable coming out that he like almost blocked a Steph Curry pull up three coming around a pick and roll. And there were other possessions in that game just to stick with last night where Brooke was about... 30 feet out when they move the screen way out near half court. He's like, I will come way out and then I will contain as I need to. Um, and of course, the Bucks. it's well documented in the last few years, going back to the championship season, that they've tried to diversify their coverages a little bit more. And so this is what you're talking about. When it started, he was really, really back in the paint. And I remember the 2019 Celtics series getting a sort of an inkling of optimism about the Celtics' chances to upset the Bucks in this series because Al Horford plays the pick and pop so much and Brooke was so deep that it's like, ah, he's really not going to get out to that pick and pop three. And I think in game one, wasn't it game one there was a Celtics upset? They went back 1-1 and I think it ended up being a 4-1 series. Do you remember off the top of your head? I don't know. So, so one of those games in Milwaukee, there was an upset and it's like, yeah, how are they going to take away this pick and pop three? I think fast forward a couple years to where we are today in 2023. Um, I'm not like literally worried at all about the Bucks playing a team with a stretch big man who wants to take 12 threes in a game. Like Al, we know Al Horford. We saw it last year in the playoffs. Al Horford will hit six or seven threes in a game, but I feel like they're even more equipped this season to be like, yeah, okay, we'll come out and we'll run you off the line and we'll contest you. And a lot of that is Brooke Lopez's mobility. Giannis, of course, is really, let's face it, in today's basketball, he's really basically a center. But he plays the four because he's so mobile and you know he's a huge body, so he gets stuck on screens and he doesn't have the quickest feet on earth. But his ability to cover ground on the court, Chris Middleton is like, what, 6'7", six, 6'8", He's not the fastest guy in the world either, but these guys all move and rotate. And um, now you have conference final specialist Jay Crowder on the team. Drew Holiday is a big guard that can get around. So the Bucks are the most interesting team to talk about to me in this sense because they're giant, but they don't seem to give up too much in terms of speed and mobility. I haven't seen a team yet where I'm watching them and I'm like, oh boy, they are really gutting them because Milwaukee's too slow or because Milwaukee doesn't have the mobility to stretch out to the three-point line and recover. And the Bucks right now, um, they seem like the candidate to me to dominate in the playoffs with their defense the most. And I almost wonder, as a sidebar, if that makes them the favorite. Hmm. Again, you're just... 
all kinds of heaters today, Ben. You're just filled with wonderful thoughts. I am I'm throwing gonna... smoke right now. I am Roger Clemens coming in for 20 strikeouts. Look out. Sorry, uh, that was a baseball reference. Golf, Sorry. Yes. Football. <laughs> Is this ultimate frisbee? Like, you, you got to start with the sport first and then give you the name. But I think, to your point, with, like, talking about the stretch big just beating the Bucks. obviously they didn't lose the series. But I do remember back, I think it was the the 2020 playoffs in the first round. I think the Bucks were playing the Magic. And Vucevic honestly just looked like the best offensive center in the league against the Bucks because the Bucks just were were too stubborn to change away from the the intense drop that they were doing and Vucevic was just on fire and you're like oh okay so the Bucks aren't going to make it very far because they're super easy to counter because the big man just needs to pop after the pick and pop and there's no recovery for that but you know like you said they've been changing uh they've been changing coverages and I think a big part of that I love the man but Having Robin Lopez back up Brooke Lopez, it was kind of just the same thing. Like, Brooke Lopez would go off and you bring in Robin Lopez, who's a great drop defender in his own right. But now you have guys like, you know, I've talked about Bobby Portis being a little bit more mobile out on the perimeter. They have a lot more of, like, the forward types, you know, Joel, uh, Joe Ing- I was like Joel Ingles, <laughs> Joe Ingles, Jay Crowder, guys that can play the four and be a little bit more flexible. So I think the roster itself is constructed in a way that it can handle a bunch of different coverages. And I think the thing that's really interesting about the Bucks is if you look at their the the on off splits, you know, the with or without you numbers. Shockingly, if you look at when when both Brooke and Giannis are on the court together, their defensive rating is about like one ten ish. When Brooke is on without Giannis. They're like a 109, so they're actually better when Brook Lopez is on the court and Giannis is off the court. That's not me saying anything about Giannis' defense, because I think, like you said, the key to them is that I think their defense is going to get better in the playoffs. And I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure I remember running these last year. And there was a significant improvement in their defensive abilities from uh, from the playoffs to the regular season. So I, I think you're on to something with that. Well, thinking about the playoffs, which is where my mind is really focused on, Last season, and you'll get this in the playoffs this season, sometimes coaches err on the side of not having a defensive leak versus an offensive weakness. And so you get a series where, and I think this happened to some degree with the Bucks, although they only played two series and the first one, they just completely suffocated Chicago. But you will see teams go into the playoffs and have like a, an offensive rating that's like eight points worse than in the regular season. But the defensive rating is also like, 15 points better or something that was the box last year they're just like no we are we, we don't need to worry about scoring right now we are just going to stop you from scoring they actually don't have the best defense in the league right now for the full season we were talking about some splits and things like that um the cleveland cavaliers are just ahead of them in defensive rating if you look at our board that we give to patreon subscribers patreon.com slash thinking basketball that uses the possessions calculated by the wonderful play-by-play stats website which i think is the the absolute best and most consistent at counting the actual possessions which is why you might see differences in these numbers if you look at other sites so the the bucks and the calves are basically tied at the top um and then if you look at defensive rating in the last month the the bucks are also at the top of the league about 110 points per 100 possession as they've had uh, possessions as they've had this win streak. So what's the common factor there? The Cavs have a team where Evan Mobley gives them some of that same versatility. So when you watch the Cavs play some of these more offensively fluid, fast, horizontal, all the modern stuff we've talked about all year that 
Um, you know, we've talked about with the Kings and we've talked about with the Warriors and all the movement and X's and O's. It's like, yeah, but Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, uh, pick your pick your small forward that can't shoot, Cody. Um, Isaac Okoro, um, you know, Dean Wade, Lamar Stevens. You put you put those guys out there. I know Jetty Osmond's your favorite. He's out there too. You got a bunch of big bodies. You got a bunch of versatility. And even someone like Jared Allen, like you may describe him as a traditional drop big, but if he's on the weak side of the court, the way defenses are set up, as long as he's not the one chasing your man out around a screen 30 feet away from the basket, he's going to come back and clog up the paint. That's why these teams are difficult to score on. And, you know, the thing that I just keep coming back to is like, who else is going to be able to succeed and win and guard in the playoffs with the way their defense is constructed? When you look at those top teams that we've talked about um, basically all year, but certainly since the since the trade deadline with Durant going to Phoenix and whatnot. Let's stick on this for a second, because I, I have a question for you about the Cavaliers. Uh, you paint a really good picture of them. I really, I'm a big fan of the Cavaliers. You know, I really like the teams. I've talked about it a lot. They have the five and four guys that can switch around, that can both protect the rim. But how much do you trust their ability to ramp up their defense in the playoffs? Do you think that they're going to be able to sustain their defensive dominance when the playoffs begin? Oh, I love this question. Um because I think it's a launching point to the bigger idea, which comes back and affects the Bucks. What teams, this is how I would think about this in my head, what teams can play a traditional drop big off the court? What series is Milwaukee going to hit where Brooke Lopez's minutes per game because of some of the matchups and because of some of the stretches that the team needs is going to go down to 25 or whatever it is. Because I, th- I think there have been times in the past where he's getting attacked a little bit and, and Bud's like, all right, I'm not going to play you for six minutes here. Your minutes are going to go a little lower. But what opponent is going to do that to Milwaukee? What opponent is going to do that to Cleveland? What opponent is going to do that to fill in the blank of your team? I mean, I'm not even sure you could say this out loud on the radio anymore, this following word that I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway because we have to talk about actual basketball. What opponent could do that to Philadelphia? Oh, wow. So here's the thing, because I think there are some big differences between Milwaukee and Cleveland in their defense. And when it comes to, like, if you think about a guy that's going to punish you and drop, what the Bucks have that's sort of a cheat code is Drew Holiday. Because I think what Drew Holiday does so well is he's just kind of a shadow on defense. I think this is his best attribute. Is when there's a screen, right? The Bucks defense is set up so that if you're screened and you're the guard, you chase over it, right? And Drew Holiday is so good at just like sucking himself in, dodging a screen, getting through, staying on the guy. And I don't know if the Cavaliers have that. You know, I think Okoro, I think Stevens is a good defender. I think Ricky Rubio is a very good defender. But Mitchell, Garland, these are guys that aren't necessarily going to be able to chase the same way that Drew can, right? Like, we've seen Drew make literal literal game and series-winning defensive plays in the playoffs, right? I think back to, I think he, like, blocked Marcus Smart and stripped him in, like, game five last year. Oh, oh my God. This is just, Cody's, Cody's just going into fan fiction. Right now, you can see it. You can see it in his face. He's getting warmed up. We're we're about two seconds away from the lob in uh, the steal in the lob in Phoenix, 
in in 2021. Okay. Sidebar, sidebar on that. People talk about the lob, but here's the real best play of that series. The real all-time play is the block from Giannis. And I think that's a great example of this. The block on the the lob to Aiton. Like to me that's that's an impossible play. Like you watch it as many times as you want. I don't I can't name one other person in NBA history that could have made that play. Maybe Kevin Garnett could have done it like maybe but like if you gave him 10 times to do it would he do it for it's an impossible play right i think i think bill russell could have done it okay okay well we'll give bill russell we'll give bill russell that one but that's my point we're talking about some of the best defensive players of all time but then going back you know the cavaliers i think garland and i think mitchell you can't not play them right like you see some of these minutes i think recently the cavaliers were playing the heat garland wasn't wasn't playing that game, right? Mitchell ends up playing like 43 minutes. In the five minutes that Mitchell didn't play, the Cavs scored like six points, right? They scored almost all of their point when Mitchell was on, so you can't not play these guys. And I think those two can get punished defensively, right? We saw Mitchell really struggle defensively in the playoffs. I think Garland is going to have his struggles in the playoffs. So those are, are two players that give me some pause that the Bucks don't have because I, I trust their guards on defense. Yeah, so so you said I was coming out throwing heaters. You just you're just hitting them right out of the ballpark, <laughs> because I think that's such a such a critical point to stop and and reflect on the difference between having Brooke Lopez, Jared Allen, uh, Rudy Gobert, et cetera, et cetera, with guards that are very compromised. And not just compromise that point of attack. Like with the Jazz, the thing that, of course, had had become in vogue and and mocked so much was like, well, take the Clippers series. They just go five out and they destroy the guard on the ball. And then you get these almost meme-like highlights being passed around of Rudy Gobert, like rotating to the paint to stop the layup and then trying to rotate back out to the corner to stop a three and Terrence Mann's draining a three and everyone on the internet's like, see, Gobert stinks. And you're like, wait, wait a second. The, the problem there was up at the point of attack with the guard. And so offense, defense, what's the trade-off? What's going to happen in the playoffs with a team like Cleveland? That's a really interesting question because Cleveland is one of the few, maybe the only team in the NBA playing three non-shooters a lot in their lineups, right? Evan Evan Mobley, uh, of course, um, regular listeners to the show know that we're big Evan Mobley fans and um, just in terms of his trajectory going forward and how good he is already, but he takes a few outside shots, but he's just not a good outside shooter right now. We don't know if that's ever going to turn over a hill or turn a, turn a corner, but I mean, when you're in the when you're in the 20s on your wide open threes, I think I think he's still in the 20s in the last 22, two seasons. Yeah, 20, yeah, okay. Um, so it's like, bless your heart, you're trying to take them 10 years ago, certainly 20 years ago for the whole history of the sport, this guy would never take threes. They're just trying to take threes now to practice the shot and to keep the defense honest and to develop spacing and things like that. He, Jared Allen... Isaac Okoro, Lamar Stevens, these guys are all really, really low on the um, outside shooting rankings league-wide. And so, to Cody's point, taking Garland and Mitchell off the court seems like offensive suicide in the playoffs. And of course, my concern about Cleveland that we've talked about before is their inability to score because of these lineup things, their inability to generate good offensive ratings in the playoffs. And then defensively, you know, 
Mobley's great because you can put him at the five and he's been better offensively inside the arc, extra passing, floater, post-up, seal, offensive rebound, whatever it is. But what's that What's that lineup that's going to work? And if, if it's Mobley and uh, Chetty Osman and, um, I mean, God, if they really need a lot of offense, they're going to go to Karis LeVert, but that's a third guard on the court that's kind of compromised defensively. So you can see how... Um, thinking about the, where, where, where I started the show of like how, how many teams that are really good defensively right now in the regular season, how many teams are going to be able to win in the playoffs with dominant defense? Well, and I, we've mentioned this before. You can't talk about defense without offense, right? The sport is played on both ends and are both inextricably tied together like it just happens. I have some numbers to kind of to illustrate the difference between the Cavaliers and the Bucks here. So I think there's there's seven guys on the Cavs that have played at least a thousand minutes this season, right? Seven guys have played at least a thousand minutes. Only two of them are making over 40% on their wide open threes over the last couple seasons. It's Darius Garland. And Mitchell, right? It's Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. All right. Then you have guys like Lavert and Osman both at 36%. Okoro, 33%. Lamar Stevens, 27%. And, and, and right. can, can I just jump in and help people? Thir- the league average on wide open threes, I think is like 36 or 37%. Now that only pulls from the 200 something players that take threes and the maybe 300 players rotationally that take threes. So it, it excludes some of the big men that never shoot like Rudy Gobert. But what's the 33% on your wide open threes? What's the percentile for that league wide? Oh wow! I don't know that off the top of my head. Uh, okay, I'll I'll pull it. Keep going. It's it's okay. just the point is it's it's relatively low. Yeah, it is relatively low. And if you compare that to the Bucks, for instance, we look at the seven players that played at least a thousand minutes for them. Only two of their players have shot under forty percent on wide open threes. It's Giannis who's at thirty percent and Pat Connaughton who's at thirty nine percent. Ben, over five of the Bucks players are shooting over forty three percent on wide open threes over the last couple seasons, right? Yeah. Yeah, I got that Isaac Okoro, by the way. His 33% on wide open threes is in the 16th percentile oh. in the league. So I just want to put in perspective, oh. like teams are, especially when you get to the playoffs, when they're going to game plan around that and say, hey, just shoot all you want. We, ha- we have to jump back to the Lakers at some point because of mm-hmm. this, because I'm just fascinated with some of the non-shooters on the Lakers. And the like. there's the Grant Williams treatment, which is... We kind of know you're a shooter, but we're willing to live with you shooting. And then there's the Andre Roberson treatment. And we're going to see that for some of these guys, because even in a game the other night, like Jared Vanderbilt, they were literally just five on four. That's how we're playing defense. If Jared Vanderbilt's in the corner, we're just going to let him shoot threes. And of course, because it's Jared Vanderbilt, he swished his first two threes of the game in route to a 14 point first half because you know he's Jared Vanderbilt um, but that's that's going to be a whole thing in the playoffs when you have shooters that are this far below league average if offenses and I think they will be if offenses are still scoring like 114 115 116 when we get into the postseason anyway I, I cut you off keep going yeah let me finish up my buck stop before we, we, we move on here because I think this is the key element right the the shooting element is huge right like the side players that can all play defense are all still able to shoot, right? And if we think about players that can be attacked on defense in Cleveland, Donovan, I still believe in Donovan Mitchell's defense. I think, I think that he has it in him, right? He's long enough. He's built well. He's athletic. I think he can at least be a neutral to a positive if he's locked in. Maybe that's a, a 
a belief that I should lose, but I don't know. I still think it can happen. Darius Garland still needs to prove it to me. I think he's still a negative, not like a Trey Young clear negative, but he's still down there. Those two are going to be attacked in the playoffs. And when I look at the Bucks roster, Ben, who who's going to be attacked on defense? Like, I think the first player that comes to mind is, is probably Grayson Allen. But the thing about Grayson Allen that he's able to do is he at least flies around the court like he's shot out of a cannon right? He's just like, he, he'll at least chase guys. He'll try and, and cover up blown coverages. He's not particularly strong. He's not particularly big, but he's athletic. He can meet people at the rim. He's okay throwing his body in the way of people. And that kind of matches like the, the coach bud uh, ideal is he wants these guys that are just going to go balls out all the time when they're playing defense. And that's what they do, just flying around the court. And I don't necessarily see that with a couple of the guys that will be attacked on Cleveland. Yeah, I, I I think we've uh, circled the wagons on Cleveland and Milwaukee. Um, let's think about how this applies to some of the other top teams. I mentioned Philadelphia. I was only being partially tongue-in-cheek here because you're, you're never going to play Joel Embiid off the court as one of the best players in the planet. It's the same thing with Jokic. You're not playing those guys off the court. But what you can do is you can extract a weakness. You can extract an offense-defense weakness. And Embiid has been really interesting for me this year because he has these moments where he's basically defensively dominant and it's the right matchup and he's engaged and he makes a ton of big plays. Uh, Even in that game against Denver that we did the video on where they put P.J. Tucker on Jokic and let Embiid roam off of Aaron Gordon off the ball. That might not be an exact tactic that can be used in the playoffs per se, but that presence, and if you look at some of his defensive numbers just with his sheer size and rim presence, uh, fantastic, right? But there have been moments, there have been a lot of moments where he's out there working really hard on offense, doing a ton of the heavy lifting. Um, he, he exerts a tremendous amount of effort on offense sometimes in transition or attacking closeouts. He's got those, he's got his feet, he's got these little shuffling feet now that move him across the court. It kind of reminds me of Babe Ruth when you watch the old like black and white tapes. Uh, Cody doesn't know who Babe Ruth is. I'm I, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a it's a candy bar, Cody. It's a, come, it's I, a. I know my hockey references, Ben. Come on. Okay. Um, this has gone too far, but but there have been times where teams have punished him or attacked him. Uh, even recently, um, in the Mavs game, Luka Doncic a couple weeks ago, just absolutely hunted Embiid over and over and over again in the pick and roll. So there is a mobility thing there where how much energy does he have? Um, you know, how many minutes is he going to play? And can you get the, can you get a matchup again where you're pulling him out of the paint or constantly putting him in switches or, I mean, the guy's huge. The guy is just a ginormous human being and he does not have the same infrastructure that Brooke Lopez has around him. And the 76ers are never really taking him off the court no matter how much he gets attacked, they're just going to try to change the coverage. So even for a team like Philadelphia that doesn't necessarily win right now with its defense, I think they are eighth in defensive rating, eighth or ninth. They're about a point better than league average in defensive rating. Um, That's another team in my head where it's like, okay, you've got 
I guess PJ Tucker's pretty quick for his position, but Tobias Harris isn't the quickest dude ever. James Harden isn't the quickest dude ever. James Harden has traditionally played more like a big defensively. He's great guarding the post and he wants to switch and stay near the basket. Like, is there a matchup that could expose that? Again, going back to transition, going back to side to side actions, going back to movement and screening and chasing, you know, horizontally around the court. And Embiid, I think, is is particularly interesting because he started the season. I think he had a foot injury starting the season, and some of the defensive numbers didn't look good. He didn't look quite as mobile. I think that has improved significantly throughout the season. Like, if we could chop off, like, the first two-ish, maybe three-ish weeks of the season and just went from there, I think Joel Embiid's been a great defensive player. But he doesn't quite have the motor on defense that we see some of these other guys have. And I think th- there's a couple of things that might be going into it. Number one, he carries an, an enormous load in terms of offense, right? He scores a lot. He takes a lot of punishment. I don't know if anyone in the league falls more than this man. Like, he drives into the paint. He takes a hit. He's sliding across the floor. Maybe Anthony Davis is up there. But my point is, is he he's, he's a big lumbering guy. And driving into the paint and being physical like that takes a toll on you, right? When he is locked in, something that he's weirdly good at is people try throwing lobs over him. He's really good at disrupting lobs, Ben. It's like a very strange, subtle thing that he's good at. But he's also just a good rim protector because he's massive. But again, you said it. We're talking about guys that can be attacked. I don't necessarily trust Tyrese Maxey in a, it being schemed in the playoffs. I don't trust James Harden being schemed against in the playoffs, right? Well, I think it's, James, well, it, but it's oh. also that point of attack thing, right, that you mentioned earlier. With, yeah. the, with, with wanting the right guard, if you're not going to play up at the level of the screen, if you're not going to have, if you're not going to be comfortable switching uh, and then putting Embiid on an island, again, I don't know what the matchup is immediately off the top of my head, but this has happened in games. If you're not going to be comfortable with that, then... You need guards like Drew Holiday, like Eric Bledsoe before him. You just need guys that can help be part of that dance up at the screen, up up on the ball. And I'm a little, I'm a little concerned about Philadelphia's ability to do that, if if you will. Yeah, and I think DeAnthony Melton can do that. But again, DeAnthony Melton is carrying a lot of load for them. And I think the Jalen McDaniels, uh, getting him on the team, I think he helps. I mean, they had a guy named uh, Thibel on the team that they probably could have <laughs> used in situation. But whatever, we're not going to talk about that right now. Well, but but if you, I love this because if you went with Melton and McDaniels, which is a great call, right? They, they I think they not only hold up, but the Melton, McDaniels, Embiid battery if they're completely focused on defense that now you've got and you throw PJ Tucker out there, that sounds like a nice defensive lineup, Mm -hmm. but then do you get enough offense? If I guess your fifth player in that lineup is James Harden, how many minutes can you play that lineup? Um, I'm not punting it. It's just, it's just interesting to think about succeeding in defense because I, I do think the league is basically this good offensively or some teams are going to come along in the playoffs that are this good offensively. Well, I think back, we talked about this a little bit. I brought this up on a previous podcast here where when the Sixers played the Celtics recently, 
the the Celtics went to one of their pet Spain actions, you know, screening the guy that sets the ball screen sorts of actions. So they ran this multiple times against the Sixers, and it seemed to completely bamboozle them, right? Like Joel Embiid was kind of lost in space, but it's not just on him. The other guards around him were also kind of lost. So everyone was just like, I don't know what to do about these guys floating in space. I guess Jason Tatum's just going to get another layup. And they kind of just spammed that during that. And, you know, I think once you actually get into a series, you can plan for it more. You can scheme for it more. So I assume that they would do better with that. But when I see that happening in the regular season, I start thinking, oh, when we get to the playoffs, this sort of thing is going to happen more. And I think something that's really interesting is a lineup that I've been watching recently with the Sixers is at the beginning of the fourth quarter, right? We talked about this with the Bucks, but they also run it a little bit more. Embiid is off the court and it's kind of super helio ball Harden, right? I think uh, Niang is on the court. It's Harden on the court. I can't think of who else is on there, but they've I, I think they've they've held their own a little bit. Harden is able to cook a little bit more, keep the, the plus minus looking good before Embiid comes back. I don't know how well that lineup's going to last in the playoffs, right? Because I think that's not as defensively slanted of a lineup as they need. So I'm interested to see the Embiid-less lineups, to see if guys like Paul Reed, who I think is a tremendous defensive player, I want to see if he can hold up offensively in the playoffs and get some of those minutes to buoy them when Embiid is on the bench. Oh, boy. Wow. Uh, See, that's the thing. I don't know if he gives you enough on offense, and I do think there's going to be series where you're in the series, and if you don't need to score quite as much because the lineups get really defensively slanted, that's when you see a a player like Reed randomly come in and get, you know, 15 or 20 minutes or things like that. I'm not not convinced that's going to happen. We're talking about the East so far. By the way, that lineup, uh, as of recording this, that lineup with Joel Embiid, DeAnthony Melton, and um, Jalen McDaniels has played 46 minutes, a whopping 46 minutes together. But the defensive rating, the, de- the defensive rating is actually about 117. It's a little bit mm-hmm. below league average. It's called small samples, Cody. We we can uh, we can keep an eye on that. But that lineup is a thing. So. We've talked about Milwaukee. We've talked about Philadelphia. We've talked about Cleveland. I think the last team in the East. Oh, you, you sorry. You were going to jump in and say we need to do more Knicks. Nope, nope. I wasn't going to jump in. <laughs> say what you were going to say. Um, I, I think the the last team in the East here to think about this with is the Celtics, and it's interesting because the Celtics haven't been as defensively potent, at least during the regular season this year, despite having very similar personnel. Is that just um, less effort? Is that a slightly different coaching situation? Is that um, fatigue from a deep run? I mean, Marcus Smart, to me, hasn't been quite as sharp, hasn't been quite as mobile, sticking with that. I mean, I know he's a guard, but it hasn't just been quite as bouncy out there and, and, and sort of active and involved, changing directions and whatnot. Um, Rob Williams, since the injury, has not looked the same physically. So that's another thing that's a little different. Al Horford looks great whenever they play on national TV or whenever they need to play the 76ers. But, you know, he's a, he's a little bit older. Uh, how old is Al Horford? Them, I can't. The guy's going to play till he's like 45. <laughs> is he getting better every year? What's going on with Al Horford? We need a 30 for 30 on Al Horford. <laughs> Um, you know, I think we could just not talk about his playoff performances ever again. Let's just let's just tuck that one away. We don't need to bring it up. Uh, but but yeah, I don't know if there's anything else that applies to the Celtics here because despite not 
having a great defensive um, sort of, despite not having great defensive numbers in the regular season so far, they're still fourth in the league in defense. Whereas last year they were like first by a mile. So, you know, do these things apply to them? I, I, I don't know. They seem pretty, they seem pretty mobile and ready to go defensively. I was going to say, let, let me ask you about them here. Do you trust them to be able to ramp it up once the playoffs start? Yeah, I trust I trust them to be very good defensively in yeah. the playoffs. I mean, it's like it's like to me that last thing I just said is the big takeaway. Oh, Boston hasn't been as good defensively this season. Oh, Boston's still fourth in the league in defense and probably just you put their best lineups out there and and you scout specific opponents for the postseason. Um, we've already seen you know times during the year where that staff and Joe Missoula has gone for matchup specific scouting approaches uh, against teams by the way as an aside and I, I I'm thinking out loud here so I'm not sure how this applies to the playoffs Cody 10 20 years ago man you just you just didn't see these game specific defensive coverages from night to night in the NBA I just don't remember that ever being a thing you didn't you didn't go into a game in 2006 and be like oh the uh the Thunder, well, the, the, sorry, the Thunder didn't exist. That was a depressing moment in my basketball. <laughs> the, 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 Sonics, the Sonics cooked up a 1-2-2 zone to slow down the seven seconds or less Suns because they're cooking everyone. No, everyone just got cooked. They just went out and they just played a vanilla defense. This season, I feel like more than ever, I've, I've actually not been able to keep up in terms of making videos. There are defensive schemes specific to the opponent on the other side of the aisle. I don't know if that's having more data or having bigger coaching staffs or a combination of, of all these kinds of things and then some. But for instance, the Raptors played the Lakers this weekend. And the Raptors decided... And we, we talked about the Celtics and the Lakers earlier in the year and how they played Anthony Davis. The Raptors decided Anthony Davis will not be rolling this game. That's our, that's our game plan. We've never used this coverage. This is not how we defend pick and roll. But what we're going to do is not let Anthony Davis roll. So whoever was on him, OG Ananobi a lot of the time for his, for his strength, um, just didn't worry about the ball in pick and roll. Like There were two other defenders, the guy guarding the ball, and then a help defender. And OG's job was to stand in front of Anthony Davis and not let him roll. So you already are seeing these kinds of things night to night. I think it started a couple years ago with your Bucks saying, we're going to stand behind James Harden in a regular season game and come up with this scheme specifically for James Harden. So again, this stuff has me thinking about the playoffs where it's like, how much is going to change in the playoffs defensively? And how are teams going to slow down all these crazy high-powered offenses that we're seeing? First, we need to appreciate the fact that there was a period of time when teams would legitimately guard James Harden by keeping their arms behind their back and just sitting on the left side. It, it's it's ridic- It's probably the most ridiculous defense I've ever seen played against a player. We, we just don't talk about it enough, Ben. Uh, let's talk. About, let's, let's stick with Boston again. So I have another question with them because we we talk a lot about black belts and brown belts and all these other things. Does Boston of the title contenders? Do you think that they have the fewest overall weaknesses? Of any of them. O- overall. So yeah. I'm including offense. Including here. offense. Do they have the fewest weaknesses? You're really you're really burning my CPU because I'm in I'm in defense only mode <laughs> right now. Um 
They probably, yes. I'm going to say yes. They have the fewest weaknesses. If you come at it from the from the brown belt perspective, I think on offense and defense, they have the fewest weaknesses. Now, of course, this tournament, Cody, is going to be amazing. The NBA doesn't even pay me to say this. This is just me on my own getting so I I I, can't, I get so excited at night thinking about the actual tournament that I can't believe I have to wait another month for it because every team is flawed there is no juggernaut I think there are maybe four or five really good teams that we've talked about throughout the year and recently we did our kind of updated contenders and pretenders and whatnot we did an episode on that but the Bucks I trust the Bucks defense the most the offense gets more interesting um the Celtics, the Celtics are probably the most balanced. The, who else did we talk about? Uh, do you want to go to the West? I guess in the West we have, oh, wait, you have more to say about the East before we go to the West? There's a, there's a team, Ben, just, just kind of sneaking up on me a little bit. And I think defensively yeah. is a big part of it. Oh, absolutely. The New York Knicks. <laughs> you want to talk more about, have you heard? Quentin Grimes and Emmanuel quickly, they're really killing it lately. No, Those I'm two just, just and Josh Hart. No, I'm just I'm just saying, like, in all seriousness, are you saying you like the Miami Heat more than the New York Knicks? Yeah. I am not even gonna hesitate. I'm wow. not gonna hesitate. This is this is a this is a classic Cody hot take. I I don't know I don't even know if the numbers have have, have bore this out. I haven't deep dived them. But recently, I feel like I've been watching them a little bit more. I didn't love watching them earlier in the season. There was something that just didn't seem right. I don't know, man. Like, every time I watch them, they I think they have this sort of defensive flexibility. Now, Kyle Lowry's been out a little bit, and I think he didn't look right. But Bam Adebayo is the type of guy that is just flexible as any big man in the league. I don't think he has the rim protection jo- chops of guys like Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, Giannis. But I think in terms of switching out and being able to defend one through five, I think he's probably the best of any of the bigs out there. Jimmy Butler, like, I don't know, man. Like, we, we see it year in and year out. Somehow he just levels up, and I feel like he's been slowly, like, that pinch post play, just setting up in that area, operating, drawing fouls, getting into the 15-foot jumper and just nailing them. He just seems like an inelastic score. You can't really slow him down. He can ramp it up defensively, too. Spolstra, just a genius-level coach. I, I don't think we can count this team out. I think that they are just going to be the worst to play in the first round. Wow. Wow. Do you want to yeah. guess what their net rating is in the last month? No, I don't care. <laughs> I, I don't care. You, I don't uh, care. It's minus five. I don't care. Um, th- I love this. This is fantastic. This is what everyone's here for. This is this is great. The Western Conference teams, since we we're just talking about balance and weaknesses and things like that, we talked about it on the pod where we went through our contenders and pretenders. The The Nuggets, we've done segments on it. The defense how is the defense going to hold up? Um, It's weird because I think the question to me for the Nuggets, Cody, is how much can they tread water versus how much do they leak, right? Because it's like if your defense is roughly mediocre in the playoffs and your offense is great, Denver's, Denver's in good position. If you get a matchup where your defense becomes a real problem, where they're just like, Hello, Jokic. We would like to run 70 high pick and rolls with you over and over again. Um, we will be t- we, first on the first possession. We will be ordering a pull up three on the second possession. We'll be ordering a mid range elbow jumper. Will you stomp your feet and swipe at the ball? Uh, if it's one of those situations 
and your defensive rating gets into the 120s for the series, I think then you have a real problem. So that's that's the question for me with the Nuggets. We've talked about whether we're going to see different coverages. We're going to see uh, pre-switching. They've obviously played a ton of hedge, meaning they put Jokic on the ball briefly in pick and roll as a second man on the ball and then recover behind. So I, I don't know how much this applies to Denver because I think Denver's already in a position where it's just like they – they gotta they gotta find a way to tread water. I think what also makes me nervous about them is I, I love Thomas Bryant as an offensive player. I think he's he does a good job of treading some offensive water when when Jokic is on the bench. This is not a dude that's gonna help you defensively. And I feel like I feel like the Nuggets might have to pivot to playing some really small ball lineups when Jokic is on the bench. I'd like maybe some Aaron Gordon at five. I've, we're gonna see Jeff Green at five. Just like Jeff Green is gonna step up and do his playoff thing, but yeah, I, 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 they, that's the other thing is they don't really have a, a backup big that can come up and, and try and plug those gaps. But but to the point of this conversation today, it's not to go through all these teams, right? And, and we all know Denver's possible weakness is defense. It's more to say, like, Denver, Denver at least has the speed horizontal thing covered to what you see, I think. There's no, like, oh, can you take away Denver's offense, you know, awesome rim protection or something, because it just doesn't exist. So I think... That's where it gets even maybe more interesting in the sense that if Denver can play a super small lineup, um, obviously Jokic kind of has to be out there for 35 to 40 minutes a game on the offensive side. But you're not going even more. You think Jokic is going to play more than 40 minutes per game? I guess that's probably not going to happen. He's in pretty good shape. Yeah. Maybe we see 42 minutes a game Jokic. He's in good shape, but he's going to get run around defensively, which is the whole point of this thought. There is no like... I shouldn't say there is there is no team that's going to play like this, but most teams don't stand around and say stationary spread pick and roll. We're going to really simplify things or we want to post up and clear out the I mean, I guess the 76ers play like that. We're going to post up and clear out the other side and just stand around and see if a double team comes. But all these offenses that we've talked about so much this season that move you around the court constantly and push it in pace north to south. Um, like the like King Suns, right? We we that was a that was a fun game. Was that game last night? I think it was last night. Yeah, it was last night. Yeah, and you had King Suns. Um, Kevin Durant was not there, so Kevin Durant will give Phoenix a bigger forward that is switchy and has some sort of range in that horizontal component. But is Aiton going to get played off the court? Are they going to stay with the structure they've used where it's Aiton and the other players switch interchangeably, the other four players switch interchangeably? I feel like offenses have gotten better at attacking the switch concepts that are used around the league. So in the old days, it's like you would watch a playoff series from a couple years back and these switch everything teams, it looks like no one's moving. They're just in a shell, like a zone defense, right? It's just like ball screen. Oh, they just switched. Oh, they try something else. Oh, they just switched. Oh, Guy dribbles back out and attacks with seven seconds on the shot clock. No one has to move too much other than avoiding the switches or setting the switches the way that they want defensively. Um, the more teams that play like constant handoff, three-man, Sacramento Kings, push on the pace, I think the harder that is to do. Last night in Phoenix, they didn't have Durant, but they had everyone else. And I just thought it was more of the same. It's like, Phoenix would come down and get a bucket in a four-on-three. The Kings, 
the Kings would score so fast that if I fast forwarded on league pass, the Suns were back in their offense on the other end. And I'm just, I just, Cody, I just, I, I, I sent you a message. I was like, I just feel like people haven't internalized how insane this is and how hard this is going to be to guard. And obviously the Kings have the best offense in the league, but the more, the more key high level playoff teams that we can identify that play like this, um, you know, the Knicks offense has been on a heater. It's going to make a really interesting first round matchup for some team. We talked about those other four teams in the East already. The West has like 10 teams, right? You go through some of those teams, you get to Dallas and eh, Dallas might want to play like Helio ball on offense, you know, whatnot. Um, what's going to happen to Dallas defensively? Dallas Dallas losing their best defensive player, maybe in Dorian Finney-Smith. That's a whole other thing. But just looking at the offenses that you have to face, you have to guard Sacramento. You have to guard Denver. You have to guard Golden State. You have to guard um, Phoenix. You have to guard who, who else? I mean, there's just, it's just like, it fascinates me to think about how these teams are going to find a way to defend some of the offenses they're going to face. I, have I said that like seven times? That's become the drinking game today. This is this is why I'm most fascinated by the Kings. I think I said this last episode. This is why I'm most fascinated by the Kings in the playoffs because I just I have zero idea about what a series against them is going to look like. Because it's just it, it's wild. It's the it's the it's the wild wild west with their offense. Like you said, just running and gunning to a degree that we've never seen. But I think when we compare them, because they're the second seed in the West right now, the difference between them and the Nuggets is if you stacked up both of their rosters and I told you to to draft like the top five defensive players between the two, they'd all come from the Nuggets, right? Like, is there anyone? Is there anyone on the, on the Kings that would even match up to the level of, say, like Bruce Brown or whoever else on the Nuggets? Hmm. Um, Harrison Barnes, maybe. And Keegan Murray. Those would probably be the two guys. They, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's okay. the state the state of the Kings, but sometimes the best offense is the best defense. And it's like, if you play, I don't want to get stuck on the Kings. We just talked about them a ton, but if you play the Kings and you want to try to take away some of what they do offensively, that's going to hurt your offense against their defense. Ben, do you know who has the best defense in the last month? Of course I do. Cody, the sleeping of, giant. Of course I do. Has the best defense in the last. Do you, the do you Los want to talk Angeles about Lakers have the best defense in the last month? And this is, look, they're another team in this mix that sort of has me thinking about this same thing we've been talking about for the last hour. Anthony Davis is now just a five. And as an aside, by the way, as an aside, if you haven't gone back and watched Anthony Davis 2018, 2019, even 2020 before the layoff, before the bubble, like physically, I, I hope people with hindsight can understand why I was so high on him. Once he started to pass more and move like he did, he can't move like he did anymore. He's still out here going 33 and 25 block shots, best defense in the league. Seems to be a universal top 10, top 12 player for most people based on what I can see, based on the numbers he's putting up. And to me, he just clearly used to be better before he was slowed down. But this is the key to Anthony Davis. You play him at the five. You don't have to worry about waiting till the playoffs to do this now. The Lakers aren't even messing around with like the double big lineups they used in the bubble. Because what ha- you remember what happened in the second round in the bubble? Do you remember this? Lakers-Rockets? 
Rockets. Was that, was that Westbrook? Westbrook yes. ball? Small yes. ball? Yeah. That was micro ball. That was micro ball. The Rockets being the first team to really go, hey, instead of small ball, let's just be like, can we just play a bunch of four? Can we play Jeff Green at center and have it count as having a center? Can PJ Tucker be our tallest player? It was this kind of thing. And what did the Lakers do? They just punted the idea of Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee and whatever being a twin tower setup. And they just went, Davis, you play the five. LeBron James, you play the four. So those guys are older and they're not quite as mobile, which is an interesting thing in and of itself when you think about guarding the best offenses and rotating 35 feet across the floor and getting up the court uh, to stop the King's pace and transition and all these things that we've discussed. But they're really interesting to me because they at least have an infrastructure. Jared Vanderbilt, right? Jared Vanderbilt's like 6'9". I think he's listed at 6'9". Um, that dude is really mobile and really fast and kind of fluid and bendy and can get all over the place. Some of their guards, they're not, they're, I'm not even saying they're great defenders, but they have some speed. Austin Reeves is like, can, do we, should we have an Austin Reeves hour? Have you been watching Austin Reeves lately? He can play. Oh yeah, and he he, he's really got some play. nice finishes. I think he had like a like a reverse layup the other day that was just like, okay, dude, you got this. Yeah, yeah. So when I look at a team like the Lakers, I think they are maybe more equipped to actually have defensive success in the postseason. Going back to the top, where I was like, the Bucks are fascinating to me because they seem to be able to do it with all this size, whereas. What other teams out there do I trust? Well, the Bucks have not just Brooke Lopez, but they have Giannis and Drew Holiday and some of the other players we talked about. Well, the Lakers have Anthony Davis and LeBron James and however they want to use Jared Vanderbilt and so on and so forth. So these guys that can play the speed game, that can switch, that can, that can have range in their coverages. Um, yeah, they make me think that you could have defensive success with the Lakers as well. I'm still a little bit more nervous about them because, like you said, they have some speed at the guard positions, but none of their none of their guards really scream like lockdown defender or a guy that's going to play at a super high level. Uh, but I do think I, the same thing here. Talking about all season, we have to wait to see them healthy. Like I really want to see LeBron integrate himself back into this because ideally, like he can be a high level defensive player, right? And are they going to play him at the three? Are he and Vanderbilt just going to kind of be like a, both of you are a sort of three, four-ish? Because here's the thing. Historically, Ben, LeBron, LeBron plays well next to these kinds of guys. He plays well next to the Vanderbilt build. You know, I think go back to his first stint in Cleveland, Anderson Verjao. I think they had a nice chemistry together. Tristan Thompson, his second stint in Cleveland. I think they had a nice chemistry together. So I think he likes playing with these guys that just sort of go out there, get their trash buckets, work hard, flying around the court, things like that. So I don't know, man. I The Sleeping Giant thing, I think it's interesting with them. You mean you mean the garbage pail kind of player? Yeah. Not, not get there. When I heard that for a second, I thought, are people going to think, Cody's really smashing their offensive game. They're, all their buckets are trash. This is garbage offense. The Wolves. What about the Wolves? Rudy Gobert is back with Mike Conley, but this time you've got Jaden McDaniels. Um, Anthony Edwards, I still think, has some off-ball stuff, but some of these on-ball possessions we've talked about, like that's a really interesting team because do they – are they quote unquote exposed or are they stretched and vulnerable to the offensive trends that we're talking about 
with Gobert out there. I mean, I don't know if Carl Anthony Towns is is going to play, and no, no idea what's going on there. The Warriors, Andrew Wiggins, is he going to play? I don't know. That's another big forward that makes a big difference. But as I've said all year or for a while, um, the Warriors taking Kevon Looney and putting him on the bench repeatedly against faster teams, to me, is a symptom of what is coming in the postseason where you're like, ah, how are we going to stop these guys tonight? Um, Draymond at five, Clay Thompson at power forward, Dante DiVincenzo at small forward I guess that gives us our best chance and then Jordan Poole and the shot blocking maniac Steph Curry at, at point guard um because I just it, it's it's just crazy Cody do you think we're gonna see like more unorthodox lineups and strategies than usual in these playoffs uh that's a great question I don't know I don't know I feel like that the possibilities there right um it's going to be it's going to be awesome watching the first week because I do think in the first week you're going to probably see one or two things that are a little unorthodox and then in general I think you're going to see the league each team 16 playoff teams so they're independently making these choices but I think you're going to see all the stuff we've seen amplified in the past where it's like ah we will make sure that we know this is the shooter we want taking open shots or yeah um we've looked at the We've looked at the three-man action that these guys run, and we know the thing we're willing to live with is to help off the weak side really hard so we have an extra defender at the nail. And you're going to... It's like it's a little bit like what Miami did with Trey Young last year, where they just go, okay, size on the ball and shrink the floor. And we're going to sit in your driving gaps. We're going to slide way up off the corner and you're going to have to make that 50-foot skip pass oversize. And that's going to be your, like, maybe your best primary option on the possession because that's what we're, quote-unquote, willing to live with. And I think just seeing defenses get into the playoffs and make those decisions about, okay, offenses are nuts. The league is nuts. This is the weakness we have to go after. It reminds me a little of football, American football. Cody, I'm sorry to do this to you, but the Patriots used to often constantly talk about the scout was about how to find the weakness in the team and they had this reputation of playing a different style every week like an amoeba which came from the scout so you might you maybe that's kind of what happens in the in the postseason um the lakers in 2020 had a version of that where it felt like the defense was different in every series, depending on who they were playing. But I really think defensively, that's what we're we're in for at this point. We're in for, uh, here's the team in front of me. Where's the weakness? I'm going to give you that. Let's amplify that weakness. And you go for, hey, Torian Prince, you go for it, buddy. <laughs> you know a team we didn't talk about? And just, it's because of their offense and, and the fact that they're not going to make a dent. But I think their defense is going to be pretty good in the playoffs, Ben. I think it's the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> Are, are yeah. you? Do you disagree with me? I think they have a great defense to go into the. Like when you talk about a team that actually doesn't have a ton of those points that you can really push on, I don't know, man. Like watching them, they they seem to play. They played the Bucks well recently in the last couple of weeks. That they may have lost both of the games, but I think through three quarters it was at least like okay, okay, you guys aren't going away. Um, I don't think the Mikhail Bridges thing. That's probably a conversation for another day. But I don't think he's necessarily an offensive superstar. Uh, but defensively, Ben. 
that's that's a that's a team that's not going to be fun to play in the first or second round. I think I think they'll be I think they'll be fine to play. Um, I don't disagree that their defense is is very stacked and very built for this kind of NBA structure that we're talking about going forward. But uh, I just don't think they don't think they have enough offense. Do you know whose defense is going to be fun to play? The Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> Uh, if you want to support this show, check out patreon.com slash thinking basketball. That's the best way to support us. You can also get access to our stats board that we were referencing during the show for players and teams that update throughout the year. Uh, otherwise, thanks as always for listening all the way through on this one. And of course, of course, especially with all this basketball going on, I hope you're having a great day.